I think for me, questioning food then led me to be brave enough to question the other things in life. And that has led me down some amazing paths. But again, you have to really learn, even when you're shaky and even when you're a little scared to stand in that confidence and trust your gut. But when we can do that, I think we really begin to step into our own. And it's, it's so good. Hi, friend. Welcome to Gather and Growth, a show created for passionate, growth-focused, rural women like you. From mindset work and building strong habits to exploring the unique joys and challenges of living rural, this is a show to leave you feeling joyful, inspired, and a little less alone. Together, we're on a journey of reaching for the most confident, healthy, and authentic version of ourselves, and I'm forever grateful to have you by my side. Whether you're currently running on a back road, shuffling kids to town, hopping along for a tractor ride, or three loads deep into folding laundry, grab yourself a nice coffee and let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Gather in Growth. I am so looking forward to today's conversation. Today, I have the joy of spending time with a new friend, Jill Winger. And I'm going to let her introduce herself because she is doing and has done so many incredible things that I know you are going to really connect with. So Jill, welcome to the show. Would you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you've done, what brought you to today, all the above? Yeah, yes, absolutely. First off, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Um, I love the mission of your podcast. And yeah, so I think I kind of got my start by founding one of the kind of the OG foundational homesteading blogs back in the early days of homestead blogging. It's called the Prairie Homestead. People might have run across it on Google from time to time. And so I started that when I was a stay-at-home mom out in the middle of nowhere who was feeling very lost and purposeless. And as I had quit my job, I had a brand new baby. I was We lived near a town of 175 people. So it's very isolated. And I just was going stir crazy. So I started the blog as an outlet and realized I not only loved the homesteading skills that I was learning, you know, canning and gardening and chickens and all that, but I also loved blogging. I loved online business. And I kind of realized I had a, a knack for it. So that started to grow. It's since branched out into YouTube channels and social media accounts and podcasting and books. And it's become our family's full-time income, which is just kind of wild considering you know, where we live and where I came from. It's never what I thought I would do with my life. But it's been such a journey and such a joy and a gift. So that's what I do now. And my husband and I, he uh, quit his traditional job in 2015. So we stay on the homestead, we run our businesses and do our things. And it's crazy, but good. So that's me in a nutshell. So cool. Okay. If you don't mind, I want to rewind. And you know, you said it's not necessarily the way you grew up or what you ever thought you would be doing. So give us some context for, you know, what was the environment that you grew up in? What did you, I think so many of us have this, you know, picture when we're 18, graduating high school, whatnot of like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this degree or I'm going to do it forever. Like, what did that trajectory look like for you before? you found yourself in the situation of being a stay-at-home mom and kind of finding this passion project that has now grown into this incredible blessing for your family along the way. Yeah. So I was raised very conventionally, 90s kid, you know, in town. I had wanted to be an ag kid or a ranch girl from the time I was about three years old. Like that was my singular obsession, but that was not my parents' obsession. So I was raised in a little neighborhood, you know, your classic kind of 1980s house, you know, two-story, they were kind of boxy. I'm sure everyone, you know, probably a lot of the listeners grew up in those. And so 
we ate regular person food and did regular person things. I think the only thing that was really maybe a, a foreshadowing of who I'd become was the fact that I was weirdly obsessed with horses and farms. And everyone around me was like, oh, Jill, she's just kind of weird. (laughs) She gallops around the yard and has a lot of horses in her room. So it was like that. But yeah, when I, when I started to get closer to 18 and, you know, you started to get all those questions of what are you going to do with your life and where where are you going to go to college and what are you going to study? You know, nothing stood out to me. Uh, I had a lot of well-meaning adults in my life try to guide me towards, they're like, well, you could do agriculture or you could be a loan officer for ag loans. How exciting does that sound? And I was like, I would rather die. Like no offense to anyone who does that for a living. I know there's people who love it and are good at it. But for me, that was like, I just felt like this feels like a life sentence trying to figure out how to be an adult and get into these careers that just weren't for me. And so the only thing that really sparked my interest at that time was horses. So I found out that I could do equine studies for college. And I was like, at least this will get people off my back. And I can say, Oh, look, I'm going to college, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to be studying horses uh, in the process. So I did that and then worked for horse trainers a few years out of college, met my husband, decided to try vet tech for a little bit. And that's when I got pregnant with our firstborn. So it was a weird unorthodox thing. You know, I thought I would be maybe, maybe in the vet world, or maybe in the horse world. Uh, and that felt very unconventional at the time, considering that people were trying to convince me to go get a bachelor's degree for a desk job, which just wasn't wasn't my jam. But yeah, I mean, blogging wasn't a thing and no one knew you could make a living doing things online. So definitely couldn't have seen that coming. Yeah, absolutely. So at what point, you know, so much of the through line of your business is this homesteading and the these life skills that it sounds like you know, I'm sure you, like me, were raised on Capri Suns and Lunchables and yes, Cheetos totally. and, you know, all of that. So at what point did you start making that shift for yourself or your family towards this lifestyle that was so different than the way you were raised? So now when I look back, I can see I've always had a desire to kind of want to know how we got to where we are today as a culture and why parts of our normal everyday life are the way they are. And like, why do we eat like this? And why do we educate kids like this? And why do we go to desk jobs like this? So I always had that curiosity, but it totally didn't manifest itself into homesteading or food until we had our first child. And up until then, I'd been eating all the junk food. I would pretty, I'd be pretty proud to say I didn't like to cook and I didn't want to be in the kitchen and I didn't care. And I would make fun of people who bought organic food. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was when I had that baby and I became a mom and I'm like, Oh my goodness, now I'm responsible for this child. And what am I putting in her body? And what am I putting in my body as I'm nursing her? And it just opened up all these questions almost overnight of what we were eating and what we were using in our home and what chemicals were around. And so that kind of jump started that process. And maybe a normal person would have gone, well, let me buy different things at the store, but I'm kind of an extreme personality. So I'm like, cool. Well, if all the the food here is questionable, I'm just going to get milk goats and chickens and just go whole hog. And so the extremeness kind of worked in my favor because it took me down this really fun path, but it was definitely the kid that started it. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because I I think a lot of times we're afraid of the ways we're going to lose ourselves in motherhood. And I think so many of us really find like the core of who we're meant to be like through that experience. I know when I look at my own, just even my growth journey, it's like a lot of the confidence I built in who I was and what I believed in came from like having my first son and really evaluating like, here's all this noise that these people are telling me. Here's all of these these experts or these well-meaning 
like you said, adults who are trying to tell me how to do things. But that was my first invitation in really listening to my intuition and understanding what was right for me and my family, even if it didn't make sense for anyone else. And so it's opened the door to so many other times that I've done that now building the business that I have, which I'm sure you can relate to is like, at the time when you started blogging, that wasn't something that people were talking about. And there certainly wasn't like, oh, I'm going to make a business out of this. Whether or not that was your intention in the beginning, it was still stepping outside something new. So I would love if you could speak to the experience of what you have navigated doing something or many somethings that are different than what the people around you were doing with confidence and then ultimately like growing through that and standing in your truth of who you are, what you believe to be right, even when it's so different than, you know, what the, uh, what your neighbors are doing or what your family or your friends from college have done. Oh, that is such a good question. I don't get asked that enough, but I think it's a topic that we, we need to talk about more because people in these alternative spaces, whether it's homesteading or sometimes, you know, a lot of people who follow me who homeschool or they're taking different health journeys or they're, they're trying to create an income in an unorthodox way. What people don't talk about enough is how alienating that could feel when you start to push back against the status quo, even if it's in the most innocent of ways, even if it's just to follow your own gut, often people around us, and unfortunately, most often it's close friends and family, can give us a lot of pushback. And it's very disorienting when it happens the first time. Because I remember feeling like, guys, look at, I'm like living my truth and I'm coming alive and no one cares. <laughs> and that you're all telling me it's dumb. And I was just like, so confused. Now, fast forward, you know, 15 years, it's normal. I, I totally like, I don't care anymore. I'm like, okay, I don't expect you to be excited. You'll be excited when I make the front page of the newspaper. I know, but just, you don't <laughs> care right now. It's fine. Just do your thing. Ignore me, you know, but it's so hard when you first experience it. So I think that transformation learning how to be confident in my choices and listen to my guts and not look for outside approval has been hands down one of the most valuable lessons I've learned from. I could say homesteading, but it would really apply to anyone doing anything outside of the box. I came from a background. That's a whole nother conversation. The, the way I was conditioned as a child for various reasons was to be a rule follower and a good girl. And you always just like keep your nose clean and put your head down and don't make waves. Just do what you're told and always follow the rules and as I stepped into homesteading, there's a lot of rule breaking that happens inadvertently. You know, I remember the first time I drank raw milk from our goats. You know, the government doesn't, they say you shouldn't drink raw milk. And up until then, I had always followed government guidelines in various things. And whatever my bosses told me or my authority figures told me, I will never forget the feeling of taking the sip of milk that first time because my gut said yes, even though the government said no, and just having to sit with that tension and be okay with that. And that, I, I think for me, questioning food then led me to be brave enough to question the other things in life. And that has led me down some amazing paths. But again, you have to really learn, even when you're shaky and even when you're a little scared to stand in that confidence and trust your gut. But when we can do that, I think we really begin to step into our own. And it's, it's so good. Mm. I feel like there are so many women in this community that are navigating these feelings on whatever path or journey that they're on. But like deprogramming that perfectionism, that rule following, that expectations of everyone else, the people pleasing, like 
that runs so rampant, I think for women across the board, but I wonder, you know, how much of a a magnifying glass is on that, even in, in small towns and in the types of situations so many of us were raised. And so as you start breaking outside of the norm, whether it's the way you parent or starting a business or, you know, doing things that are different, there are so many parts of yourself that are confronted along the way. Yes. So what advice would you have for someone who is on that kind of journey, whatever that looks like for them? And I love that you you brought up that it's oftentimes your close friends and family. And what I understand now is a lot of times it's not with ill intentions. It's from a place of wanting to keep you safe or protect you from harm or shining a light on their own insecurities Absolutely. and their own unwillingness to step outside of the norm. But I love the word you said, disorienting, because it's so hard to do something new, especially when the people who are closest to you don't understand it. So what advice would you have for someone in that situation, reflecting back on what you've learned over the last 15 years? I think the first one is always, always, always trust your gut. And I have so struggled with that. Like up Even until recently, I've gotten a lot better, but there's still some decisions I've made in the last couple of years, big decisions that I looked for outside guidance on that maybe I I didn't need to. Like outside counsel and wise wisdom and all that stuff, mentors are great. I'm not knocking that. But there comes a time when you know the answer. And you know you know the answer, but you're too scared to call it on your own. And so you look for outside advice and opinions. And there was a big decision a couple of years ago that I that I made based on other people's opinions that ended up kind of biting me in the butt later. It wasn't a, you know, end of the world, we recovered from it. But I'm like, Jill, you knew, you knew the answer and you didn't listen to your gut, even though you know that lesson, you've learned that lesson and it still got me. So I think, you know, if someone could learn from my mistakes is trust your gut earlier and faster and lean into that, even when it feels shaky. And that will go a long way when you're doing something and you're, the people around you are like, you know, disagreeing, trying to pull you down, saying, why are you doing that? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? When you can lean into that intuition, that helps. And then I think the other piece that's been really big for me is to learn how to be your own cheerleader. And mm-hmm. I think all too often we're waiting for permission, number one, and we're waiting for other people to be as excited as we are. And this is kind of, this might sound depressing, but to me, it doesn't feel depressing. It just feels real and I'm okay with it now. But like, we've done some crazy things, my husband and I, over the last few years. We've built businesses, we've hit really big milestones, we've renovated things, we've had huge wins. And family and close friends have been very, very, very rarely have even shown a smidgen of excitement for that. It's like a pat on the head and like, that's nice. Do you want to go to supper now? And I'm like, do you understand what that meant for us? Like, obviously you didn't. And so that used to hurt my feelings so, so much. And now I'm like, you know what? My husband and I celebrate. We have ways that we commemorate things. There's ways I commemorate big accomplishments on my own. You know, I'll take a day off or I'll go do something fun or I'll buy myself a, 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 you know, whatever, something I've been wanting to mark the occasion and not waiting for the people around us to get as excited as we are has been a big game changer for us as well. So I don't want to say that to depress anyone because honestly, now it doesn't hurt my feelings anymore. And we found other ways to feel excited. But that, again, can be shocking and surprising when you experience it for the first time. Yeah. And I think that goes back to also deprogramming that approval addiction. It's like, like, why am I so caught up in seeking the opinions or the praise or the approval or the thumbs up or the, the comment of someone who is not me living my life and like reframing your entire existence around like self-sufficiency and being enough for you as you are, which I know 
there are a lot of different (laughs) directions we could go from this and probably have like a five part series on this. But I was looking at your new book that's coming out. And, you know, some of the things that you mentioned is like the stillness versus frantic schedules, like the consumption and the unhappiness, the being more connected than ever, but still feeling disconnected. So what do you see in the way that so many of us are living or have been living compared to like finding that inner contentment with yourself and your family and the things that you're doing? I think that's really the essence of what I consider to be this homesteading movement. And there's so many definitions of that. And people always want to know, well, what is it? And I'm like, it's hard to me, it's harder to define. Some people might say it's making sourdough bread or having chickens or having this many farm animals. But to me, the idea of homesteading and really what my upcoming book is, is just what you said. It's like, how can we reclaim what we have lost in our race towards progress? And how can we become more connected and find that stillness? And I think when I kind of analyze it, when I did the research for the book, what I kept coming back to, and I, I tend to not think it's some dark, nefarious force who created this. I think it's more just the problems of progress. But you know, over the last 150 years, we've had a lot of advancements. We've had a lot of changes and industrialization has, has revamped human existence as we know it. A lot of good things in that, right? We have like more life-saving measures than we've had. We have f- lots of food production. There's lots of good things. We have cars. We can get places faster. We don't die when we try to travel across the country like we used to on in wagon trains, right? There's lots of good things. But there's also come some side effects of that that I think that as modern people, we don't often recognize because we're so lulled that this is the way it is. This is normal. You know, running frantically from activity to activity and never being at home with your family is normal. And having all the family members leave and go different directions every single day is normal. And always needing to be dependent on marketers and corporations for your needs is normal. And I think that not that any of those things are inherently wrong, but I invite people to kind of step back and go, okay, well, well, is this how it has to be? And how can I bring in some more human practices in my life that are less corporate and less industrial? and get back to the basics. And so, you know, finding that stillness for me uh, in a more practical sense is being engaged with nature every day. I still have a very modern life. Um, even today, I'm jumping from, you know, four or five different projects. We have fair week coming up. So I'm working on that. We're starting a charter school. I was at the school today planning out how to get couches and tables in. I'm, I'm launching a webinar this week, which is really high tech. So I'm working on that, you know, we have a restaurant, so I have to go interview a new employee today at 4.30. And within all that, like I, my, my brain is like bouncing like any other modern woman's would be or, or modern man's like bounce, bounce. Oh my gosh, here we go. Stress, lists, to-dos. And I know in, in the middle of that, I'm going to keep myself grounded by getting in the garden, even for just 20 minutes or going for a walk outside. And so it's not that I completely reject all of modernity, but I'm figuring out how to weave nature and old-fashioned practices and ideals into it to keep me from going crazy. So that's kind of how I think of it. It's a long-winded answer. Hey, I'm here for it. And I, I've i had this theory that I've been sharing fairly recently, like in mastermind conversations that, you know, if we look at industrialization and what life was like before that, everyone in the workforce had their like special thing that they did. So maybe it was like the shoemaker, the, um, you know, the blacksmith, the farmer, the whatnot. And I'm seeing this interesting shift, and maybe it's just me and the people I'm connected to, specifically in women, specifically in rural women, which arguably is the demographic that I serve, but where it's like we're coming back to that. And women are finding things that they really love and that they're really good at, and then using that to serve 
their community, whether it's, you know, globally online or in the proximity of which they live. And so I, I've been wanting to do some research on this. And I wonder if anyone has, but just especially post pandemic, how we're like kind of coming back home and niching down to the things that we uniquely love. And then like building this side economy that like supports each other. You know, I have a podcast manager. I've worked with a copywriter before. I worked with someone who's really good at marketing and I'm doing what I'm doing. And so I think it'll be really interesting going forward to see as more people kind of come into themselves, how that shifts what our economy and lifestyle looks like. Yes. And I think that's that's such an interesting point and a really important one. You know, I was reading a book yesterday, uh, Wendell Berry. Have you read any of his stuff? No, I haven't. He's really good. He talks a lot about sense of place and community and belonging. And he was talking about how in these small towns, you know, there used to be such vibrant economies, these rural areas, because you had, you know, the, the person's, the, the creamery and the person who was the blacksmith and the person who was a grocer. And, and that was really the American dream is that a family could come and either make their living from, uh, you know, a, a piece of land where they're farming or they run the local barbershop or they run the local drugstore or the grocery store. And that they, they had ownership there. And because they had ownership of that business, the business was well taken care of generally and it brought life into the community. And that was really what was keeping those communities alive prior to industrial farming, kind of moving people out of those small communities and back to the cities. And we have all those dynamics taking place. But I think what you said is right in line as we, you know, the pandemic era is so fascinating to me. We have so much technology and we're like on this race towards AI and the metaverse, but we also have a huge swath of people like you and I going, wait, what else we need to go? We need to look back. Like, let's go backwards a little bit in some areas. And like you said, people are itching down. Women are finding purpose in crafting and, and coming into the, in themselves with these businesses and these, these side hustles, if you will. And I think it's just a, a neat juxtaposition. I'm curious to see, like you said, how it will change our small towns and how it will change our families for the better as we bring that back in. So I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. I think there's good things happening. Can you even believe that we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of Gather and Growth? What started as a dream that I talked about for many years has come to reality, and we truly would not be where we are today without you. If you haven't already, would you mind leaving the podcast a review? Reviews from faithful listeners like you make such a huge difference in helping new people find the podcast and get connected to this beautiful community. Another powerful way you can support the show is to share your favorite episodes via Instagram stories, your personal Facebook page, your favorite groups that you're in online, or even forwarding directly to a friend. I have so much gratitude for the conversations we've had together over the past year and look forward to so many more. Yeah, I think that this time period is going to be incredibly fascinating to study just in like the number of people that I interview or I talk to that's like, oh yeah, in 2020, I just had this wake up call that I'd been running this race and maybe it didn't have to be that way. And so, you know, that, that looks different for everyone, but it gave us such an opportunity to pause. Yes. And like, I have been checking all of these boxes 
that everyone told me was going to do this, do that, you know, go to college, get the degree, get the dream job, get married, have kids, live happily ever after. Like, yes, the number of times I read my daughter a princess story and it's like, they lived happily ever after. I'm like, what was their marriage like? After? Exactly. Yeah. What's, what does after right? mean? Yeah. Let's, let's right. dissect the after. <laughs> Right. Like that's what I I want someone to write like the real, like what happened to Snow White? Like, okay. But anyway, like a lot of us have been spoon fed that of like, do these things then be happy. And we did the things. We checked the boxes. We, you know, have careers that we like or that we love. We've had success and we've had the kids and it's like, we're running so fast and waking up and being like, but something's still not right. And we like internalize that of like, oh, something's wrong with me. Why can't I just be happy? I have all the things that should make me happy. But there's this inner misalignment with like the what our schedule looks like versus our values and priorities. And so that's what I love about this community is being able to ask the hard questions and is like, is this thing that I think that I need to do actually supporting the life that I want to live? And what actually do I want my life to look like? Because if there's anything we've seen, it's that you really do get to create your reality. And so uh, for someone who is exploring the idea of homesteading, and I love that you said that it looks so different for everyone, because as much as social media can be such a blessing, you know, in connecting with people and learning and having access to information and building relationships, I No, personally, I see some of these, you know, bigger homesteading accounts or people who are doing something. And I'm like, wow, that is more than I can handle. I'm so overwhelmed. Like, I'm just going to keep doing X, Y, and Z. Where I think there's so many of us who are open to changing some things, but don't really know where to start. So for someone who's coming to you relatively new to wanting to make lifestyle changes towards this, where would you invite them to begin? Yes, I love this question. And I have kind of a out of the box answer that I'll give my my standard answer. And then I'll give a little bit of a caveat. So normally, if someone's saying, you know, I'm drawn to homesteading, I'm seeing those accounts on Instagram, and I want a piece of that, where do I start? I'd say the food is where is going to be your best bet, because we're eating three times a day, already, most of us, maybe more, maybe less, but close to that. And there's a lot of opportunity to change up change things up and make different choices within those eating periods each day. And that doesn't mean you have to strip your kitchen of every process ingredient and only use cast iron and get an apron and wear dresses in the kitchen. Like that's not, that's not where we're going, but it's just these little baby steps. And so like, I have lots of resources on my platforms and there's plenty out there. Like how do we start swapping ingredients? How do we Mm -hmm. um, start bringing more whole foods in? Could you buy some ingredients locally? Don't go whole hog overnight because you will drive yourself insane. It's it can be extremely (laughs) overwhelming. But you know, go to your farmer's market instead of buying it at Walmart. See what you can buy local. See if you can get meat local. See if you can grow some salad greens in a pot on your on your front porch and just start to think about that. Just ask better questions about your food. And often, whether you're never going to move to the country and buy a farm, or maybe you already have one, but you're just not interested in going whole hog homesteading, the food will not lead you astray. And you're going to feel better and probably save some money in the process. So it's kind of a win-win. And then beyond that, I would say, you know, just kind of listen to your gut and, and see what you need the most. You know, if you're feeling frantic with your scheduling... Um, maybe the best way to simplify is to say no and then replace some of those activities with just time in nature, getting your hands in the soil, sitting on the grass, going for walks outside. Maybe it's digging deeper into your community. That's a really old fashioned skill that we don't 
give enough attention to is how do I revive community and civic uh, activities? Maybe it's looking at your environmental impact and how you can change that up. So there's lots of different entry points into the world of homesteading. So just kind of listen to your gut. But food is one of my favorites, I'll have to say. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that the schedule and the learning to say no. Like we have gotten to a place where it's really easy to pack every hour of our day with kids activities or do this, do that. And it's like, how much of that are we doing out of obligation or the expectation of someone else? Like, do our kids even like it? At this point, my kids aren't into sports. And I'm like, that is great because I don't want to spend every Saturday morning at the ball field. Like, I'd rather just be at home playing or out on the farm or going on an adventure as a family. So it's like, why are you signing up for the thing? Yes. There's so much parental pressure though. Like for that, and I'm I'm a stickler for like we keep our kid activities fairly minimal, but even then, man, I feel it, and I it makes me uncomfortable. The other parents, I remember I had a mom go, "You're only doing something two nights a week. We have yeah. things seven nights a week," and I'm like, I feel like that's not Ooh. a bragging point, but I feel like you don't think I'm a good <laughs> mom because I'm not doing enough. So, oh my gosh, like there's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love the that you mentioned the the local community because. I think that that is something that, you know, as we have become more interconnected online, like what a gift, what a blessing. I have so many friends from across the country I would have never met had it not been for the good old internet, but feel increasingly isolated or disconnected from the people who are in our immediate radius. And I think oftentimes it comes from like our perception of what we assume that they're thinking about us, especially as someone who's like doing something outside of the norm. So how do you recommend that people get more involved locally or build more connections to increase like that sense of community and ownership? You know, when we first started, when we first moved here slash started homesteading in our area, I was the exact opposite of how I am today. And it was kind of like what you said. I'm like, eh, I just assuming, you know, assumptions, nobody in my age is going to be here. Nobody that I'm going to jive with is here and they probably don't need me anyway. And so I just told myself that for years and we stayed pretty isolated when we started to flip that story around, man, life got so much more exciting. Just having those connections. It's messy. Being in a community of any kind is messy because there's humans involved, especially small rural communities can be all, there's all sorts of dynamic there to work through. It doesn't mean it's bad though. It just means it's a good growth experience. But I think that the, the biggest thing that people can do as they're trying to figure out where they fit and how they're going to roll into a community, especially if they're new to it, is just start just start participating in the activities that already exist. There might not be a lot, but I bet the bet there's a few, whether it's community get-togethers or potlucks or lions clubs or those rotary clubs or family baseball nights, just show up. Cause a lot of times um, it's sometimes hard to get participants and it means a lot to the organizers just to have people come and support it. And then you can start to get a feel of what's needed. You start to make those connections. And then I would say from there, at least the kind of the path that we took is, we, we, we looked to what the community needed and how it fit with our personal set of talents and passions and then try to bring those together. So for us, that meant we bought an old soda fountain restaurant and, and renovated it. I wouldn't say that's for everyone. That was quite the project and pretty intense. But I love business. I love food. So I'm like, this restaurant needs somebody. Why not me? So you know, it can look a lot of different ways for a lot of people. But just being open and having an open mind and putting yourself out there goes a really long way. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for 
we want these small towns to be vibrant. We want our kids to love living here and be able to come back and embrace the lifestyle that we've created. But cool things don't happen in small towns unless someone stands up and makes it happen. And like you said, that can come with resistance. Oh, yes. No matter where you are, or what you're doing, there's gonna be someone who has an opinion about it. But understanding the needs of your community and really rallying behind the things that you care about you know, that's what's going to breathe this this newfound life into these communities that we love. Yeah. Those visionary people and communities, especially the small one, are so important. Um, and like you said, you will get resistance. We've had resistance. And sometimes it's still like, it's a little disorienting. It hurts my feelings sometimes, even from locals though, you know, still, silly things will happen at the soda fountain. They're like, why? Well, I, I don't want to go there anymore because, you know, my coffee was cold that day. And I'm like, well, you know, let's talk through that. Can we give you a second chance? Can you try it again? Like there's, there's just funny personalities in this small town, but I would still knowing what I know now with the resistance and the pushback that we have received on occasion, I'd still do it again. It was still worth it. Like the, the payout and to see how it has brought community get together and how it's ignited different excitements over things. It's so worth it. So if anyone's in those trenches now, you know, keep on going, you're doing a good thing. So I know that you and your family have built multiple different businesses and have really gone from, like you said, just this side little passion I'm going to share online about homesteading to now the work that you're doing today. So for someone else who is, you know, growing a business or has an idea or has something that they want to bring to life or is even at a pivot point, what are some of the lessons that you have learned specifically in business along the way that you wish you could tell your five, 10, 15 year ago self? Yes. I think the biggest one that I still keep at the forefront of our businesses is it's really just about solving problems for other people. And if you can get really good at getting into someone's head and figuring out what their problems are, and then provide creative solutions to that, that's really to me the essence of business. And so the tricky part about that, it sounds really easy, right? The tricky part is you have to, it, it takes a lot of mental heavy lifting to get that done. Right. And like, you know, not just, okay, I'm, I'm writing a book and selling a book, but what is the book really, what, what problem is it actually solving and, and who am I speaking to and spending time on those foundational thought processes. It's probably not my favorite part of businesses. Cause it just is heavy lifting. Like, it's just like, it, it hurts your brain sometimes. Cause you have to think so hard and you have to get really creative and think around the, the conventions. But if you can do that work ahead of time, it'll shortcut your marketing, it'll shortcut, you know, your products, it'll make everything a lot smoother. So I think figuring that out faster would have been really nice for my <laughs> 5, 10 year ago self. And I think the other piece is outsource as much as possible or, or maybe outsource faster. I love to DIY, I love to be a self goer, but you really, at some point you have to duplicate yourself and you can't be the bottleneck anymore. And so bringing in strategic assistance and helpers and uh, assistants and employees has been a game changer at, in all the businesses. And I think if I had relinquished control earlier, it would have been been nice to have to, to not hold on to that so tightly at the beginning. Right, which is so hard when as an entrepreneur, I actually just recorded an episode about this right before we started talking is when you are the business owner, you are the business. And there is so much of your personal self that, like you mentioned, can be the bottleneck and can be what is both moving your business forward and also holding you back. And so recognizing where different pieces of your business could have someone who is uniquely good at that helping you has been such a game changer for me. Um, and it sounds like for you as well. But 
that's also then building, you know, the confidence and belief that like everything that you want to build will be able to sustain and bring it to life, which is just a whole nother mindset piece. Yeah. It's a whole nother, a whole nother piece, which is hard, but yeah, but so good once you get there. Yeah. So what are some of the other unique challenges or problems that you do see for the people who are in your community? And what are some of the things that you have created to, to help guide those people along their journey? Yeah. So I think for me, a lot of my content centers around, you know, people, people want old fashioned skills. They want to be cooking more and they want to have kind of that Ma Ingalls esque lifestyle, which is beautiful and romantic and so fulfilling. It's also tricky to weave that into a modern life, right? Cause you know, I am not just sitting around in my prairie dresses with my garden baskets doing that all day long. You know, I'm podcasting, I'm running different businesses, I'm running around, we're, you know, back and forth to town. And so I think learning how to blend the old and the new together is kind of one of the biggest pain points for my my folks. And so my different courses and things I've created over the years is just trying to help people figure out how to reconcile that. And it looks different for everybody. I don't think there's a formula. I'd love for there to be a formula, make a million dollars packaging and trademarking the formula, but there's not. It just kind of has to be something you come to terms with in your own life. And so I love teaching people kitchen skills, especially because I feel like once you start to unlock that, everything else just starts to fall into place. And so I'm kind of, it's kind of like, oh yeah, just come in. I'll show you how to make bread. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm going, and then you're going to want to do this and you're going to have a garden and then you're going to get the milk cow and then you're going to be working with your hands and you're going to start a business. And, you know, so I kind of, I love to see that snowball effect. Mm, Yeah. The entry point of like building confidence and the practice of trusting yourself and listening to yourself, you know, going back to something we've already touched on, but I see that in my business with a lot of people find me through building habits and I'm like, okay, but once you understand what it looks like to figure out what you really want and then build confidence around it. And then you notice these changes in your physical, mental, emotional health. And then you ask um, deeper questions and then you say, well, what if I, what if I tried this? And then, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> like you're running a business or whatever, yep. but it's like that access point of just helping people, women specifically, mostly in this community is just learn to listen to themselves and figure out what they really want and then fully step into it with confidence and trust. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. And and really in line with, with what I teach, because I think that our industrial mindset has dulled a lot of our senses. It's dulled our intuition. It's dulled our ability to connect with ourselves, with nature, with things around us. And so, like you said, just learning to lean into that. And that can look like so many different things for different people. But it's it's one of the most powerful things we can do. I feel like we could literally talk for hours. But I know you have a busy day today. So... Before we wrap up, tell us a little bit about the book and how we can get connected to that once it comes out. So it's called Old Fashioned on Purpose. Uh, It's not a homesteading book per se. It's really kind of covering a lot of the things we talked about today. It's kind of it's a roadmap for getting back to basics, creating an old fashioned life, no matter where you live, farm, townhouse, urban, rural, uh, just getting back to being more intentional and purposeful in your life. So there's an eight-step process within the book. I have lots of stories. It's really a personal book. Put a lot of myself in there, but there's still some practical tips and ideas so people can get just you know start to see results right away. Uh, if you go to oldfashionedbook.com, you can pre-order. It comes out September 26th, and I get a bunch of bonuses and goodies for folks who pre-order, and those come right away. So you get the bonuses now and the book in September. But yeah, I'm really excited for it. That's so soon. Okay. 
I am in the very, very beginning stages of conceptualizing my book. So I would just like personally love to know what the book writing process has been like for you. It is long. I kind of love it. There was times I hated it and would, you know, totally have cried over it, but I love it. I would, I, I just like it. I just would, I would, I totally will do it again. I had the idea, brought it to my agent, creating a proposal took, we, we took longer because we weren't in a rush for this book. And also the pandemic was kind of happening in the middle of it. So we, we were a little bit uh, halted with that. Our proposal process took like six to eight months, which does not have to take that long. But it's like 40 pages, right? It's a pretty substantial document. Then my agent took that in, to different publishers. We had... I think I had 10 publishers want to talk to me. We did interviews about the book. All, like They were all like one after the other on a couple days. So that was fun. And you, you talk to them about your idea and they kind of try to sell themselves to you and you kind of do this little dance. And then um, if they're interested, they make offers. And so I had a number of offers and I got to kind of pick which offer I wanted based on the publisher themselves and their ideals and you know their offer amount. And then we would negotiate. And then once I, I settled on the publisher, I signed a contract and I had six months from that day till... I needed to turn in the first draft. So that was ah! like, ah, full speed ahead, like <laughs> craziness. And I spent that period, like I basically lived in the office. Um, my husband took over homeschooling. Mostly I didn't travel. People would ask me to do things. And I'm like, I am writing a book. I, I am literally not leaving my house. So a lot of hours in the chair, a lot of research. It was intense. Also like the high, like the creative process highs and lows. I'm like so addicted to it. It's, just like all the dopamine. I'm just like a total addict. So, you know, you have the good days where I'm like, I put these words together and they're beautiful and I'm in love with them, you know, and I could barely sleep. I'd be so excited. And then you have the days where like the manuscript looks like crap and it's falling apart. And you're like, I, I'm a horrible writer. I don't know what I'm doing. So I am addicted <laughs> to that. It's trash. I'm it's trash. trash. Burn I'm it trash. Down. My life is over. Why did they even pay me to write this book? You know, crying to my husband. And then the next day, I'm like, I love it. And he's like, you are crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I know. <laughs> so um, then turned in the, the first draft. It depends on the, the process. They came back with substantial edits. There was some discrepancy between my editor and I during that part of the process. But we survived. Made it through a couple... Of, and there's lots of round of edits. It's all kind of fuzzy now. Many edits, many, many, many edits. Copy edits, final edits, little picky edits, big edits, structural edits. And then... Yeah, that we wrapped those up in January, February, and then mm -hmm. it's now the time of this recording, summertime, and we're getting ready to publish it. So it, it was like two and a half years by the time we, we started till when it's actually going to hit shelves. It's a long process. If someone wants to learn more about you and get connected to the book or you know your YouTube channel, social media platforms, where can we find you? How can we get into this beautiful circle that you've created? Yeah. So my original blog is still going strong. It's theprairiehomestead.com. And that kind of links out to all my other things. There's lots of different branches of what we do. You can check them all out. Um, oldfashionedbook.com is where you can learn more about the book and get all your bonuses. And then if you like social media, I'm most active on Instagram. And my uh, handle is jill.winger if you want to follow along there. Well, beautiful. Okay. Before we close up, the question I ask every guest, what does personal growth mean to you in this season? I was just actually ruminating on that a couple days ago. Even though I'm still in the middle of book launch, I, I haven't had the conversation with myself what comes after book launch for a couple years because that's been the pinnacle. And I started to feel kind of restless. We finished up some of our big summer projects this month. 
And all I have left on my horizon is a book launch. And I started to feel like I need a challenge again. I need to have another mountain to climb. Even though the book mountain is not quite climbed, we're, we're, we're nearing the top and I'm like, what's next? So as I was feeling this tension and kind of like, I, I feel bored. I feel like I need something. And my husband's like, oh my gosh, we have a million things happening. It underscored to me how crucial it is for my sanity and my happiness and just me being fulfilled as a person to have something that's always keeping me growing and helping me have those lessons. And so it's reminded me how important the growth process and the personal development process has become to me over the years and how much I'm just so used to having something in the background that's either pushing me out of my comfort zone or going to push me out of my comfort zone that when it's not there, I feel disoriented. So I just really like it. I just, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but it's, it's important to me even as a busy mom of three, like to have something that's continually pushing me and making me get better because that growth is so priceless. And it can come in so many Mm -hmm. forms, but it's really what makes life interesting. Oh, I love that. There's no right or wrong answer to this question. And I love that it looks different. I'm sure if I asked you this question in three months or six months or a year from now, it would look totally different. So at the time that this episode's released, I'll have just released my one-year anniversary episode oh, of this podcast. Oh, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> That's big. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And so really the purpose of that is I shared just really what personal growth means to me now compared to what it did a year ago when I started this show. And then we also wove in the excerpts from all of the interviews I've asked. Aww. And so it's just this really beautiful compilation of the diversity of what growth looks like for all of us at this unique moment in our journey. Yes. Oh, I like that. That's a cool idea. So thank you so much for being here today. I am excited to order the book and get more connected with all the beautiful things that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Me too. All right, friends, until next time, I am so forever grateful for you. Have I told you today how much I appreciate you? I'd like to imagine this was a meaningful backyard patio kind of chat between friends sipping LaCroix at sunset. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a screenshot to share or forward this episode to a friend. You can also find me at Emily Rushel over on social to continue the conversation. It's truly a joy to hear what tidbits and takeaways made an impact on your day. As always, all links and resources mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes listed below or over at emilyrushell.com. Special thanks to my podcast manager, Jill Carr, for the time and love she puts into producing Gathering Growth for this community. What a blessing it is to be on this personal growth journey together. Forever grateful for you.